Good morning. It's uh, good to see each of you here this morning, and welcome to the folks that are watching online. Um, <clears throat> I have a couple of announcements to take care of some business before we get started. And some of you may or may not know Pastor Bruce is uh, away camping with his sons this weekend, I think in North Carolina, and it was an annual tradition until a few years ago, and his uh, sons started to move around the country, but this year they were able to get together again, and uh, so they're camping this weekend. And, uh, so hopefully it's as nice there as it is here today. And, uh, not all the rain that we had yesterday, which I'm not a camping person anyway, so. Uh, but anyway, I, I know they will enjoy that time together. Uh, the two announcements tonight at 7 in the Fellowship Hall will resume the showing of uh, Season 2 of The Chosen, Episode 2 and 3, and that will start at 7 uh, this evening. So I understand episode three is, is shorter than the normal uh, episodes. So if you're able to uh, to come out and uh, take part in that. Um, the other announcement there is going to be, you won't want to miss this, a mulch spreading party a week from Monday. That's May the 3rd. And at three th five o'clock, okay? So if you're able to make it, uh, with uh, shovel, uh, pitchfork, whatever your uh, tool of choice would be. Wheelbarrows are good as well. Uh, you certainly would be welcome there. So uh, anyway, uh, just a few other things. I, uh, I had a former pastor just throw this out, and it always sticks in my mind, but it uh, when we... We would come for a service, preaching service on most Sundays. He would tell us most every Sunday that his goal each Sunday was to, uh, to cur uh, comfort the hurting and hurt the comfortable. So uh, it always stuck in my mind. So I'm going to try to, to uh, be more uh, toward comforting the hurting than hurting any comfortable. But some of it may apply either way. So we'll see where that goes. But I, uh, <clears throat> I wanted to talk about or speak about uh, God's grace and uh, to give you a little uh, more in-depth idea of what God's grace really is and what it means. And uh, to tell you, and, and you may begin, you know, to think every, every time he stands up to talk, he talks about grace. And, uh, and that may be true. I'm... I'm uh, the reason I say that, and I can tell you from experience uh, why that is so important to me, but um, the term grace means unmerited, undeserved favor or mercy. And uh, three years ago on April the 3rd of 2018, I, I went into the UVA hospital and I had, had been ill and undiagnosed for months since the fall of the previous year. And I'd continued to, continued to lose weight and uh, didn't have an appetite, and, uh, which is not normal for me at all. And so, you know, my wife Peggy used to beg me to eat, will you eat, you know, a half a sandwich or something, and, and, uh, which I would sometimes reluctantly do, but I, I didn't want to, but I did, because I knew it was for my own good. And so uh, after many tests and time in the hospital uh, that I would be sent home or sent home from the doctor and they say my, my vital signs were fine, my blood tests were okay, they couldn't, couldn't pinpoint anything. And uh, so on April 3rd, three years ago, I was admitted to the hospital and uh, one of the wise uh, Doctors, there was a female, I don't recall her name, but we were in a meeting one morning and um, she said that this, this man needs to be admitted to the hospital. He's severely uh, malnourished and he needs to see a neurologist right away. So um, I was diagnosed with a neurological disorder called neurosarcoidosis, which 
causes an inflammation of the brain and how the brain, the inflammation in the brain, it can affect any of your normal body functions. And mine was to my appetite and my uh, digestive process. And, and uh, so fortunately, uh, this one doctor was wise enough to recognize that. So I uh, was fortunate enough to get some treatment. I began to, uh, to respond. I started to get my appetite back. And I don't want to spend too much time talking about my health struggles. But the end result of that was I began to get a new understanding of God's grace. Because when I was, when I was in the hospital and when I was admitted... Um, when uh, they they put me in a room and they would come and analyze me every day and I I didn't know where I was. I couldn't tell them what hospital I was in, what street it was on. I couldn't tell them who the President of the United States was. Uh, So I didn't have, I had a, a neurological analysis every morning and it was so embarrassing to go through the questions and after question and not know the answers. And so I uh, finally, at one point, I learned how to cheat. When they would ask me what day it was, I would peek over the doctor's shoulder, and there was a nurse's whiteboard on the wall, and it had the date on it. And so I started to cheat, and I would read the date, and they would ask me, what day is it? And I would look at the board and say, today is whatever, April, whatever. So one of the doctors finally said, you know, that's a good sign because you have enough cognitive of awareness to figure out to cheat. <laughs> Even though you don't know it, you know, I, I, they would ask me the president's name. I made up a couple new president's names, but I didn't, uh, I, I just, you know, there were simple things that normally you take for granted that I, uh, that I just did, wasn't able to respond to. But what, uh, what I want to tie that into is during this time, uh, was I aware of the grace of God? And no, I certainly wasn't. You know, like I said, I wasn't aware of much of anything except how to cheat on the nurse's whiteboard. I mean, was I aware enough to claim God's promises? And no, I just, you know, I was just functioning. I was, I was at mercy of the caregiver's and God's mercy. But was God present when I was there? Absolutely, he was. I wasn't aware of it, but he was there. And so what I came to terms with eventually was that, you know, anything we have, and I'm not speaking specifically of material things, but anything we have to the most basic thing We have nothing apart from the grace of God. When we wake up each morning and we complain about our creaky muscles and bones and joints and so forth, when we get up in the morning and take take our next breath, it's because of his grace. It's his grace that enables us to do that. And I've recently retired and I've actually, since I've retired, I think I'm in better physical condition than I was before I retired. But uh, I've had some really active days working and doing physical things and then getting up in, in the morning, out of bed in the morning is a little more of a challenge after a day like that. But, uh, you know, I've learned that God's grace, you know, we're dependent on it, whether we understand it, whether we're aware of it or not. Um, we're dependent on it. So I'm hoping to go into depth a little more about the grace of God, what it means, what it means as a believer to understand the grace of God. Where do we go with it? And uh, in just a moment, I'm going to uh, ask you to follow along, and, and uh, we're going to turn to First Peter chapter 1, and I'm going to read a couple segments out of First Peter, and we're going to talk about him a little bit. Um, but uh, before we do that, if you would uh, join me in prayer, and after prayer, if you would stand, and, and we'll read over this, uh, these verses in First Peter. So join me in prayer, please. <clears throat> Father, we uh, thank you for this time we can share together. Lord, for fellowship together. 
and uh, just uh, to look into your word, Lord, and to, to take from it, take wisdom from it and truth from it. And we thank you for it, Lord. And we, uh, I just pray for open hearts and minds that we would hear uh, from your word this morning, Lord, and, and the things that I say would come from you. Lord, it wouldn't, uh, wouldn't involve my mind or my opinion, my, my anything, Lord, but just uh, passing along the truth and the strength and the encouragement in your word. And I pray for those that are in, in hearing this morning, Lord, and I thank you for them. Uh, bless this time, Lord, and we thank you for it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you would stand with me in First uh, Peter chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 5, and then I'm going to skip down to verses 13 through 25, and then we'll, we'll go over that. I won't go over it in great detail. I know Bruce goes through the verses in very great detail, but we're not going to take time to do that today, but we're going to skim over and just hit on some basic truths here. First Peter chapter 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Skipping down to verse 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish, without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God and raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is its grass, all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word by the gospel was preached to you. You may be seated. So I, I enjoy reading the book of Peter, and we know Peter is a familiar character for me. Uh, uh, throughout the New Testament, there's, there are instances of Peter being involved with Jesus and things that he said, and he said things quickly. He said things off the top of his head. He didn't necessarily think, but when he thought, he said it. And uh, I think the reason that he appeals to us and appeals to me specifically is because he, he did a lot of things that I know, and, and uh, if 
he had it to go back and do over again, he probably would have done it differently. But there's so many things about Peter in the New Testament that we can learn and, and we, can, uh, we can grow from, we can draw from. And Peter was a man that was familiar with um, failure and suffering. And he was familiar also after Pentecost in, in the book of Acts. He became the leader of the New Testament church. But he was familiar with the redeeming grace of God. Peter is the same man that stood before Jesus and told him. He said, I'm willing to die for you. And then he was the same man who cursed and swore at a servant girl and, and said, I don't know the man. When he was questioned whether he had been associated with Jesus, he said, I don't know the man three times. He said that. And so Peter was aware of struggling. He was aware of suffering. And struggling is what I'm going to hit on, struggling in grace. That's what I want to bring to your mind. But Peter was a great example of grace and undeserved mercy. Uh, so I'm saying when I read the verses, those, those scripture verses, and I, I've kind of picked and choose in the, in the first chapter of Peter. But uh, the three, there are three things that I want to emphasize. I'm not going to go over, like I said, each verse. But... What I want you to take with you, it's, the scripture says that salvation is reserved in heaven for you. It's kept by grace, but it brings you to a holy life. And you're born of incorruptible seed. It's not a seed that rots or not a seed that goes away. It's, un, it's incorruptible. Uh, several times in the scriptures, and especially uh, specifically here in 1 Peter 1, it said we're mentioned as pilgrims. And we're all familiar with the term pilgrims. We've been around Thanksgiving celebrations enough. Uh, but we're mentioned as pilgrims in the scriptures, meaning that we're living away from home. Where we're living now is a temporary residence. But believers in Christ we're not citizens of this earth. We're living in a temporary residence. We're living away from home. And we're pilgrims passing through a foreign land. The scripture tells us in uh, James chapter 4, verse 14. I'll take a second to turn there. But it says, Whereas you do not know... What's your life? What will happen tomorrow? For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. So as much, as much stock, as much emphasis as we put in our time on this earth, it's like a vapor. It appears for a little while and then vanishes away. When my father passed away in 2006, that verse for the first time it hit me in a new way it hit me in the face my dad was 79 years old and he still had a good mind was a longtime smoker but he um, when he passed away even though the 79 years which it sounds like a good long life for man to me it appeared as a vapor all of a sudden it was a vapor for a moment and then it passed away But we have to remember it's God's grace that saves us and it's God's grace that sustains us. So <clears throat> the word sustain, if you go to Webster's Dictionary and look up the term sustain, and it'll be a familiar term to us as believers, as believers are in this room, but the word sustain means to carry the weight of or to prop up. And we're talking about the grace of God that sustains us, that carries the weight, the weight that we carry, God's grace carries it for us. And it props us up just as we carry the weight for each other as believers in the church and in the fellowship, we carry each other's weight. We prop each other up. We encourage one another. We hold each other up in prayer. And the God's grace is doing the same thing. It sustains us. 
and it's grace that carries a weight. The first time, and when I first started to prepare this message, I, I thought that grace itself was, was strictly a New Testament term. But it turned out that that's not true. The first time in Scripture that the word grace is found is in Genesis chapter 6. And uh, we'll turn there real quickly, but we're t it's talking about Noah. In Genesis chapter 6, Uh, verse 6 through 8. It says, And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And God, it spells out, because of man's uh, evil, their continual disobedience, God it was grieved that he had created man. And it says God was grieved in his heart. And just when, in reading that, when you read that God was grieved in his heart, there's something about that that touches you, that God had created man, he had given man life, and he was grieved in his heart. But it said that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And what, what was it about Noah that caused God to find grace in, 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 in God's eyes? What was it about Noah? And the evil that was going on in man and the disobedience, that wasn't something that caught God, caught, uh, caught God off guard. Nothing occurs to man apart from his knowledge. He saw it coming, but he was grieved in his heart that he had made man. And we think about what it was about Noah that brought about grace in God's eyes. Now, Noah preached the coming flood for 120 years. And you know what the results, most of you know what the results were. Zero converts, his family, the only ones that entered the ark. What's also interesting is Noah, when God called him to build the ark, he was 500 years old. So I say that as inspiration, being a senior adult pastor here, 500 years old, we're not too old to do something significant. And I, I understand people lived hundreds of years in this time. But uh, 500 years old, those of us that are seniors are older, we still have a purpose. We still may have a mission. God has a purpose for us. But the Bible says that Noah was a just man. He walked with God. And said, Noah did all that God commanded him. It doesn't say he was deserving. It doesn't say he was obedient. But it said he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. <clears throat> he did not come before God with his own abilities or his self-worth, self-proclamation. But he came with an obedient heart. And you'll find so often when you desire the blessings of God, it's... You come before God not with what you have to offer, but you come with an obedient heart. And you think about the project that Noah took on. Noah spent over a hundred years building the ark, specific instructions from God on how to build the ark out of gopher wood and pitch and how long the uh, the wood had to be specific instructions and he was obedient and followed the instructions to a T. It made me think about here recently uh, my oldest granddaughter just turned four and some of you that may follow on Facebook there are pictures out there but we bought her a playhouse at Sam's Club and as a good good grandpa papa would do 
he built this, had to put this playhouse, assemble it together for our granddaughter Charlotte. So we pulled out the instructions and there were 55 steps to putting this playhouse together. Uh, very little details. There were pictures and the instructions, which were very limited, were in five different languages. And so um, I had to follow the instructions explicitly. And I, got, I did get it put together that day. I have pictures to prove it. But just think about the obedience of Noah over a hundred years following specific instructions that God had given him for building the ark. And, uh, you know, I'll just say, and most of you know this already, and of you that know me at all, you know, I'm, I'm a simple man. I like to boil things down to the simple base level truth. I don't complicate things. Uh, you know, I like to boil them down to, you know, the very basic problems. I don't, don't like to over-complicate things or over-detail things. Uh, my, uh, my plan for weight loss is uh, if you need to lose weight, you eat a little less and you move a little more. You know, it's, it can be as simple as that. Most all the diet plans work if you follow them, if you're obedient to them. Uh, but sometimes we make things too complicated. And uh, a lot of times today, you know, we're, we're more subtle and we're more tactful than people in previous generations. And we have a way of, uh, we can tactfully get we want to get our way but we can say it in a tactful way to make it sound like it's not all about us and uh you know in the world today and we have so many problems so many issues and you all are aware then of the issues that we have but i think the basic ground level problem is man's idea man's opinion of sin we've tried to turn sin into something that we call something else uh, my former pastor used to talk about we uh, use the term dad blame psychology when we have problems growing up you blame your dad we have a reason we try to justify uh, the things that we do but I think man's problems is God has spelled out sin to us and we don't want to be obedient. We want to call it something other than what it is. In Ephesians 2, 8, 8 through 10, one of the most common uh, scripture verses in the Bible. But there's one one section of this verse, verse 10, that I want to emphasize more. But if you want to follow along with me, Ephesians 2, verse 8 uh, through 10, says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, there's a lot of congregations, there are a lot of uh, denominations that are, that are preaching a cheap grace. Uh, they, they preach a, a prayer of, of forgiveness, of repentance, but they don't preach you beyond that. And you see here that you're saved by grace, but there's a call in verse 10, there's a call to a holy life. There's a call to obedience. It says we're uh, created in Jesus for good works. And I, I'm not going to in any way try to tell you that you're saved by works, but works should be a result of your salvation. But salvation, even though it's free, it wasn't cheap. It came at a price. And grace 
should not be confused. Saving grace should not be confused with grace that does not motivate us. There should be a holy life. There should be works that come from that grace. And that grace should motivate should motivate us. In Romans 6.23, it says, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? May it never be. The grace of God, although it's free, and it says he, the scripture says that he that says he has no sin deceives himself. The truth is not in us. The sin is still there, the sin nature, but we're saved by grace. But there's always a battle between the flesh and the spirit. If that battle, you don't see that battle going on within your spirit between the flesh and the, and the spirit, it should be a concern. You should examine yourself. Charles Spurgeon said, this quote is not that our salvation should be the effect of our work, but our work should be the evidence of our salvation. If you would uh, turn with me back to 1 Peter, or follow along. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. And the scripture tells us in verse 10, it says, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. It says we're supposed to be good stewards of the manifold grace of God. What is the term manifold? What does that mean there? Well, manifold means the grace of God is shown in many forms. What are the many forms? What is it talking about? The manifold grace of God. One way is our grace that can be shown, one of the manifold ways are in our words toward others. In James 3.11, it says, can a spring bring forth fresh and bitter water from the same spring? No, we, we can be manifold, we can show manifold grace of God through our words, through our kindness, and through our gentleness. It can also be shown through our gratitude. One thing we should teach our children, our young people, is an attitude, and not purposely making a rhyme, but an attitude of gratitude. Teach them to be thankful for the things that they have. Teach them as a young person to be thankful. Not to take things for granted. We're in a for granted society. We have rights. We do things. But we need, everything we have is by grace. We need to be thankful for it. Our willingness to forgive and ask for forgiveness. Another example of the grace of God. Our willingness to pray and to pray for others. That's an, an example of the grace of God. When I was in the hospital that I mentioned earlier, I know that the prayer of other people, my Sunday school class, the people in the congregation, in the Spanish congregation, the prayers of those folks on my behalf sustained me. And that's another way that God's grace can move and work through our lives. Another way is our willingness to listen to others. And I, when I say listen, I, I, there's, you know, two different terms. You can hear and you can listen. My wife's a good listener. I hear and I pick up bits and pieces. But she can listen and she can repeat every word verbatim that what you just said, that's listening. And uh, to be able to listen, it's a great gift. Not necessarily just to offer advice or solutions, but just to listen. It made me think about Job's friends. When Job was struck sick, he, he was covered with boils 
and his three friends came to visit him and they saw the, the agony that he was in. And it says that they wept for him when they saw him and they sat with him without saying anything for seven days and seven nights. And after that, they started to offer solutions. They started to tell him why he was to blame, so on and so forth. And that's where the relationships went downhill. But often we can support people in silence to be there with them, to weep over their, their pain, over their illness. You know, we think of being stewards of things more in material possessions, but more importantly, we should think of them over as being stewards over spiritual things. I was told once that when we receive a blessing, that blessing is incomplete until we share it with someone else. When we receive a blessing and we keep it to ourselves, we're the only ones that benefit from it. But when we receive a blessing and share it from others, share it with others, it benefits them as well. It encourages them. It lifts them up. It props them up. So the blessings that we receive and share with others can be an encouragement, and that can be another expression of the grace of God. In Titus 2.11... And it talks about the grace of God here. And and very basically, it says, The grace of God has appeared to all men. The word appeared here in the original language in Titus 2.11. The word appeared is the same word that we use in English for epiphany. It's not a word that we use every day. Uh, You don't throw epiphany out there that often. But this term was used in the Greek language was the same term that was used to describe the sunrise in the morning. And you take the sunrise and take away pitch dark and you cast light on the earth. And it bursts onto the the darkness and reveals the light and the nature of God. And that's what it's saying, the grace of God has appeared to all men. It's like the sunlight that spreads out over the earth. And I've learned and I heard a speaker say recently that God's word is a mirror. It's not made for us to read and to analyze and criticize others. It's for you to look at and see what God has to say to you. God's word being a mirror, his intent is for us to look at our own lives and not the lives of others. I heard the same gentleman saying, and, and we, any of us that travel on Route 29 with any frequency, we understand this. But he said when he drives on a busy highway and somebody cuts him off in traffic, he, I'm, he's ready to pass judgment. He's ready to call our local policeman that was in the first service, Jeremy Anderson, and want Jeremy Anderson and exercise judgment and put that person in their place. They should get what they deserve. But when he pulls out in front of someone, it changes completely. They're blowing the horn at me. They don't understand what's going on in, in my life. I, I deserve mercy. They deserve judgment, but I deserve mercy. But don't take God's word and use it to to beat up on someone else. When you look at God's word, look at it as a man looks in a mirror. And you see what God is saying to you. In James chapter 1, verse 22, another familiar verse to everyone. It says, Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. 
But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. A quote from Adrian Rogers talking about humility. It says, humility is knowing what I am acknowledging that God made me that way and giving him glory for it. I have a, uh, a video, a couple of scriptures, but I have a video testimony that I'd like to play for you uh, at the end of the message. And uh, I want to go through a couple of scriptures just to set the video up. And first, I, I want to read in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. <clears throat> but this uh, video that we're about to see, it's of a Christian singer. His name is Mike Weaver, and he's the lead singer in a group called Big Daddy Weave. And uh, when... Uh, be honest with you, sometimes when I'm feeling discouraged and when I'm feeling down, I'll go to my computer and I'll play this video and it always picks me up. There's a lot of us that struggle with different things. Some of us struggle with self-esteem, some other type of issues. We all struggle with something. A lot of us can dress it up in a better way than others. There's one thing that I really like that Bruce has tried to emphasize recently. When people come in here, I think it's a real compliment to the congregation when he says the people there are real. You know, we don't dress up ourselves. We don't try to make ourselves something that we're not. We all struggle with some things, and some of us are better at covering it up than others. But we all struggle. We all have our trials. We all have our issues. And... uh, This particular uh, testimony that we're going to listen to kind of brings that out, that, you know, God can still use you in the midst of those struggles. He still has a purpose for you. Uh, And the reason I say that, and we'll read in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 through 11, let me find my way there. Make sure I'm... And so I'll start with verse 8. And this is a fairly familiar verse. But it says, Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said, My grace is sufficient for you. And my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. And another way, we were talking about the manifold grace of God. One of the other forms that God's grace can be made use or can be used through us is, believe it or not, through our weaknesses. If you come in here today and you say, I wanna, I'd like to counsel you, I'd like to, uh, I'd like to get your advice on something, I really have this struggle with this particular issue. And if I were to look at you and say, yeah, I don't have any idea what you're talking about. I've never struggled with anything like that. We don't, we don't need to hear that. We need to relate. We need to allow our weakness to minister to others, to encourage others. You know, we struggle. I struggle with the same things. I struggle too. You know, let's hold each other up. Let's prop each other up. But... We all struggle with different things. Read one more verse in Hebrews uh, chapter 4, verse 15. It says that 
we have a high priest being tempted as we are, but yet without sin, we have a high priest that can sympathize with our weaknesses. When we struggle and we, we get caught up in these things that are a weakness to us, says Jesus, who is our high priest, he's been tempted in all these ways just as we are, but yet without sin. But when we go to him, he's been tempted in all those ways. He knows our heart. He knows what we're going through. He knows our struggles. He knows our failures. But he is the mediator between us and a holy God. So I, uh, like I said earlier, we'll play this video. And there's there's some humor in it. I find it humorous too. But uh, it's also, you know, it's a very, I think it's a very serious piece of encouragement to you. And it, hopefully it'll give you a better idea of how God sees you, even though in your struggles or in your failures or in your weaknesses or your physical appearance, whatever you struggle with, and in this particular case is weight. But God still has a purpose for you. He can still use you. And if you would allow him to use you and you would allow yourself to believe the way that he sees you, it will free you up. And that's the reason I talk so much about grace today. Because we get so, we get so uh, beaten down over keeping the law. And so many religions and congregations will, will just keep you bound to the law, to keeping of the law. But we're saved by grace and we're set free by grace. Jesus gave us grace through faith, that we could rest in assurance of our salvation before him. He wants us to walk in victory. He says to come boldly before the throne as children. Who would ever have thought of that? You can come boldly before the throne of God, but you can as children. And that's what he wants us to do. He wants us to live a holy life, but he wants us to live a free life. He wants us to live a life in peace and rest. So, hope you enjoyed this video. And uh, at the end, uh, I'll, we'll have prayer and uh, we'll have a closing song. And then the next, the next set of blessing came along. We all became daddies of little kids, you know. Whew, and that changes your entire perspective, amen? I remember when our second little boy was born. I mean, I've been a fat dude for as long as I can remember. You know what I mean? If you are, you know, the fat kid in school and you hang in there, you will be the fat dude in your neighborhood. That's just how it works. <laughs> and we have a good time with it because, I mean, we this the whole big daddy thing. And if you're my size in the South, you are big daddy, you know. And it goes, it goes like that or whatever. But it also represents, man, a lot of hurt in my life and a lot of pain. And I remember looking at Zeke. He is our second little boy born. And I remember standing there with him, looking at him, brand new baby in the hospital, new life. I just said, God, I want to be around to see him graduate high school, and I need to do something, Jesus, you know. And so my wife and I, we watched this show called The Biggest Loser. Have you ever seen this? Yes. Just to clarify, I was never on that show, you know. <laughs> mainly, mainly because they make... The, the big people like take their clothes off on national television. <laughs> that is wrong, y'all. <laughs> I mean, call your congressperson, you know what I'm saying? It's like, we gotta put an end to this televised obese nudity. <laughs> There's some things you just can't unsee once you saw it, you know? <laughs> I'm blind! You know, it's like, gosh. Whew. So we had our own ideas as we did what we wanted to keep it more private than that, you know, and it was the beginning of 2009, we decided to have, like, our own household biggest loser, you know, and so the goal was for me in 2009 was to lose 90 pounds, so we called it 90 and 09, we thought that was real clever, right, and so, man, we got down to it, and I was losing all kinds of weight, I was meeting with professionals, and halfway through the year, I was down 50 pounds, I kept on at it, we're meeting with, you know, all kinds of trainers and stuff like that, and, you know, 
By November, I was down 70 pounds. By December, I was down 80 pounds. And by this time, other people had started hearing about this challenge that I was, you know, about. And so they just were cheering me on. I mean, you know, tens of thousands of people on our website are like signing up. I'm going to do it too and all this stuff. You're an inspiration and all these things. You know, and so, man, the pressure was on at that point. Because then at the beginning of December, I had, you know, one month to lose 10 more pounds, right? And so it, for me at that point, it wasn't even about, you know, the health reason anymore. It was really just about this number. And I was so terrified of letting everybody down. Because in my heart, there had always been this fear of what other people think, you know? This difficulty to accept myself. And so the, finally, the last day of December 2009 came. I got on the scale and I had lost 84 pounds, which is nothing to sneeze at, you know what I mean? Well, don't go to cheering just yet because this is where the story takes a tragic turn. <laughs> what can be lost can also be found, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and this, was the, this really was the tragic part of it because when I got on there, and 84 pounds is like losing a middle schooler off your body, you know? But when I saw that I'd missed the goal by six pounds, I was destroyed. Because I felt like, and this is not about a pity party for Mike here, you know, even though I threw myself one at that time. Um, because it resonated with his peace in me, you know. Even though I saw this good thing, I couldn't see the good in it. I just saw failure, and that resonated with something that had, I feel like I had always sort of put that stamp on my life. My mama and daddy never did. I never had anybody I could physically say spoke that over me. I just always had a hard time loving myself, and I don't feel like we ever addressed that in church, you know? And so, man, I started putting weight back on again because I was depressed and I felt like a failure. And as I put weight back on, it just increased this hatred of myself. And there was a day when I hated myself as bad as I can remember. And I was sitting in our garage in Tennessee. I remember the concrete and the way it felt on my leg, man. Sitting there, I was telling Jesus everything I hated about myself, you know? I was telling him all about it. God, you're perfect and you love me just the way I am. I know that. I've never doubted that. Why can't I love me, God? I mean, it was like Jesus came in my garage and he didn't speak with the voice like in the Ten Commandments, you know, Moses. He didn't say anything like that. But when the Holy Spirit begins to speak to your heart, then you know he's talking to you, amen? And that day, it was like he said, Mike, you need to let me tell you what I think about you for once. And out of everything that the creator of the entire universe could have said, he said, I like the way you smile, man. And he said, I love your heart for people. He began to just fill my heart up with stuff that he likes about me. He said, you know why? Because you're mine. And you're mine not based on, you know, your perfect track record, your ability to get it right. You're mine solely because of the blood of Jesus. And you need to see yourself the way that I see you, as my son. That was the beginning of something new in my life, man. Because I'm not in any way little daddy weave, you know. But when I look in the mirror, I don't hate myself anymore because I am learning that real humility is just walking, realizing our need for God and just agreeing with whatever he says about anything. And tonight, what he says over every life in here, everyone who will turn to him, is that we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus.